Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. We're beginning our summer psalm series in Luke. We typically do 10 psalms in the summer. We'll be doing Psalm uh, 31 to 40 starting next week. And on the front end and back end, we'll do a sermon that's something in, along the lines of Proverbs and wisdom. And I was going to do anger out of Proverbs this time, but I had taught this. Pastor Jeff asked me to teach to the youth group on prayer, and I used Luke 18. And then this past week, I was in Cincinnati for our the past... Remember, I transferred my ordination into this other group. We were down there for our meeting, and I preached to them this sermon. And then I wrote a second sermon for you all. This has been a very impactful text in my life, particularly when I've been in difficulties. And so I hope it's helpful to you. I think you'll see immediately how applicable it is to you. We hear it all the time when somebody's in trouble. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. So what does it mean to pray? What is prayer? Why should we pray? How do we think about our responsibility to pray and God answering it and God being absolutely, completely, utterly sovereign as we just sung? And then even more, why do you struggle to keep praying for the thing that you need most? What's the trouble? We're going to look at those things. Another question that I got from last week, even though I didn't preach last week, uh, that Pastor Mark got that I read, from one of the kids was, in my heart, do I actually believe in Jesus? Another great question. It's a good question, isn't it? I think that question is asked, like, I I know I can say I believe it, but how do I know that I believe, believe it? I think prayer is one of the foremost evidences of believing in Jesus. And so we'll look at all of those things. Some of you have been struggling with allergies. Can you pray for that? Yeah. You should ask others to. So a lot on prayer this morning. Let's read Luke 18, 1 to 8. Pray, and then we'll see what's happening here. And he, so this is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night, Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us insight into your word, but more than for mere understanding, change us. Convict us where we need it, humble us in our pride, lift us up in our difficulty and despair. Give us faith that we might pray. And so, Father, please teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this parable comes right after Christ's teaching in the second half of chapter 17 on 
uh, the suffering that will endure for being Christians in this world. There's some debate in chapter 17 whether it's talking about the imminent coming of the destruction of Jerusalem AD 70, which would be not long after Christ would have taught this, or if it's talking about Christ's second coming. Either way, the point is, for living as Christians, if you're really going to live as a Christian, if you're going to love Jesus more than anything else, there will be difficulty and sometimes injustice. In fact, at the very end of his teaching on suffering for being Christian, at the very end of chapter 17, look there, look what he likens it to. Where the corpse is, the vult- there the vultures will gather. So we're very familiar, especially after winter with all the dead carcasses along the road and uh, you know, birds gorging themselves on it. It's pretty gory and gross. Now, Jesus is saying that sometimes on this earth, for being a Christian, things will look like that for you. So it's pretty bad. It's hard. This is, when we say that we love Jesus, we say that we will suffer for his name wherever the world tells us to go against what he said to do. This is what he's getting at. In fact, just for being a Christian, you invite um, sometimes ridicule, sometimes relational dissolution. You invite during Gay Pride Month when your business wants you to wear a Gay Pride name tag. No thanks. You, you invite difficulty for these things. And so one of the things to learn about Jesus is he is honest with you about what it will cost you to be a Christian, but he provides you the help you'll need in order to suffer it. That's what we're looking at in our chapter. The, the first help, the foremost help for believers is communication with our Heavenly Father, particularly when we're suffering injustice, and the knowledge, the assurance that He will hear and He will answer. That's the help Christ gives us. You alone on the earth as believers have direct communication with your all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving, all-caring Heavenly Father. So, uh, this parable is very helpful. Matthew Henry notes that the parable has its key hanging at the door. Okay, you've read parables in the Bible, I assume. Did somebody, Dave, Dave Frank's here. Did you teach on parables last, two years ago? Yeah, right. Dave, in the parables, is the meaning always immediately evident? No way. In fact, sometimes Christ will say that he's keeping it obscure in order that those who are heart of heart could never hear it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Parables are simultaneously help for the believer and judgment on those who refuse to hear. And so when he makes his meaning evident, when he makes it very clear, you should perk up. And in this, he's making it very clear right at the beginning. He tells you exact, or the editor, Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling you exactly why he's telling you the parable. And what is that reason? Kids, what is that reason? See it? Why is he telling you this parable? Corbin, why is he telling you this parable? Do you know? You don't know? That you might pray and always, and, and not lose heart. You might always pray and not lose heart. Now, he doesn't want you to have to hunt for the meaning here. Because this is vital. This, this is primary in your life as a believer. The thing that you'll need 
as much as anything else, especially with each other, is to pray together for God's help. And the temptation you'll face is that you'll lose heart. That you'll get disheartened. And so he wants you to know the meaning right off the top. We meet two characters in this parable. The first is the judge. What we're told about him is like, you know, we have these judges appointed or funded or whatever by George Soros. Right? Boo, everybody. Hiss. Right? He's unjust. He doesn't give a rip. He is not in his work for justice. This judge, he doesn't fear God at all. He doesn't fear man. Now, sometimes not fearing man is a good thing. This isn't. He just doesn't care about people. He doesn't care. The only thing he would care about is what you could give him if he'll give you what you want. So he's not a good man. And then, of course, we meet this nameless widow. And she is, we're not told what it is, but she's suffering some severe injustice. This is often true of the vulnerable in our society, isn't it? They suffer a lot more unjust than anybody else because they don't have anybody and they don't have the means themselves to protect themselves. So you can picture that. We don't know what it is. And she's only got one help, this judge of low character. Now, this widow has nothing going for in this parable but one thing. She's determined. Isn't this true of widows? You guys... You know some older women, right? You know, if like they get a bill that isn't right, they're going to be right. And woe to the telemarketer or the phone bank person in India who gets that call. Because they're tenacious, dogged. You're not going to get her no. So you're going to get it done. And so she gets it for one reason only. She gets what she asked for for one reason only. It tells us her continual coming. Her continual coming. And so this then is the lesson. Jesus tells us, hear what the unrighteous judge says. What is the unrighteous judge telling you about your heavenly father? He's not at all like him. (laughs) And so, if this vulnerable, frail widow gets justice by your continual coming, how much more God's beloved elect who cry to him day and night, will he not speedily give them justice? So here's where, you know, sometimes I tell you, you have to pay attention to not only what is being said, but how it's being said. All right, I'm going to offend some of you right now and It's going to be the female of the species. This won't be offensive to those of you who understand it. Do you know how helpful it is for boys, young boys, to get rightfully picked on or mocked by his pals or older men when they're acting in a way that's pansy-ish? Do you know how helpful that is? Roger, is that helpful? You work with young men, right? And sometimes young men don't want to do it. They whine and they complain. And they need to be, yeah. It's really good for young men 
So if you know, at the beginning of our parable, who is Jesus speaking to here? And he told them, who's them? Well, throughout chapter 17, he continues to refer to his disciples. In verse 22, he said to his disciples. So his audience here is mainly his disciples, his apostles, these 12 whom he is appointed, commissioned, ordained to take the gospel to the nations who are going to, if you know their lives after Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, suffer greatly for the gospel and who will be tempted in all ways to complain and whine and throw the pity party and all of that. So look at how Jesus does this. Who does he compare his disciples to? A widow. (laughs) Ezra, do you take it flatteringly when your dad says, Lucy could do that, Ezra? Is that helpful to you? So he compares his disciples to a widow. And, even more, he compares them unfavorably. She's got what they lack. So not only they're compared to a vulnerable, weak woman, but they're compared unfavorably to her. Because where she doesn't lose heart, they will. So this is meant to humble us. How many of you deal well with criticism? You know when I think I'm dealing well with criticism? When I'm not being criticized. There are some times in being a pastor where like, there's been a good season where there's not a lot of criticism and, I, and I've had these thoughts, seriously, where like I go, I think I'm kind of figuring this out. And then I get criticized and I, you know, the world is going to end and must, you know, it, we're so quick to be what this widow is, or to not be what this widow is, to lack what she has. So, you're supposed to learn something about yourself. The Bible's always teaching you two things. Where your weaknesses and failings are, where you need to repent and come, and to then strengthen you in your faith. So Jesus does both here. Why don't you continue to pray for what you most need? What's the reason? Unbelief. It's, you don't trust that God is good cares. You lose heart. You don't have the heart. So, we don't trust God. And that's what this parable turns on, this comparison between the unjust judge and God. Hear what the unrighteous judge said, shall not God bring about justice for his elect? So the unjust judge gives justice to the widow merely to avoid having to see her again the next day. Well, how much more your heavenly Father who created you, who gives you everything that you've ever needed in your life, who sent His only Son in the world to pay for your sin on the cross, who gives you every spiritual benefit you've ever had. That's what Christ is teaching us. The reality is, because of our sin and unbelief, we actually think less of God than this widow thinks of the judge. You see that? She knows one thing. She can wear him out. She knows his character and has that much regard for it that if she keeps coming, 
she can wear them out. And we think less of God than that. You think less of God than that. In your children's lives, where you are very dismayed at their behavior or the direction their lives are going, and you're losing hope of giving, uh, of praying to God for a resolution, for a turning of their heart, because you think less of God's character than this widow does of the unjust judge. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Maybe in regards to a specific sin in your life that you just can't kick. It's stuck to you. You've become disheartened. You've kind of made a deal. As long as you stay that small, I won't deal with you anymore. And yet you know the guilt, you know the shame, but you're not even asking God anymore, pleading with Him, fasting, doing something. Why? Because you trust God less than this woman trusts the unjust judge. That's what this parable is teaching. So this parable is aimed at us, in our weakness, in our frailty, at our pride, at our unbelief. That lies to us. And the word in here that's most troubling is in verse 8. Can you pick the word in verse 8 that you look at and go, right? Yeah, right. Speedily. Right, Jeff. Right. That word is ridiculous to me in this verse, in all honesty. I don't believe... There has never, ever been a time in my life when I'm in pain and suffering that I thought God answered speedily. Ever. Never once. He's not quick enough. Ever. Are you, can you be honest with yourself in that verse? You see what Jesus does to us? He is so loving to humble your unbelief and pride. This is again, if I can remind you, I, I, I want to continue to like push this into your brain because the main fault you'll have in the future, let's say you go away to college or you get married and move and you're picking a new church, is that you will pick a pastor in a church who will only tell you the nice things. They'll be a brother to you. They will lather you up one side and down another. But they will never, ever do what Jesus is doing here in this parable for you. Ever. And I'm not saying that to exalt myself. But this is what Jesus does. He compares us unfavorably to a widow who has what we don't often. Who has trust in an unjust judge and we have less regard for our Heavenly Father's character. Now why would Christ tell us that? Why would he do that? Can you think of any reason why God would do that? Why would Jesus be that hard on his disciples? Okay, how many of you have ever wanted to do something really important and be really good at something? Let's say music. Maybe you listen to a really good guitarist or pianist or violinist and I want to do that. What will it take? Hours and hours and hours of practice and criticism from a good coach and practice again until you get it right. You watch professional sports. How many of you ever wished you could play that game? Do you know the, the work that those guys put into that? What they lose to get that? You wouldn't pay the price. You wouldn't do it. 
This is what Christ is doing. He's training us to be Christian by pastoring us so well here. That we can understand our fault, be aware of it, confess it to God, and then get to the work of doing the main thing that we need to do, which is pray. We've used the uh, phrase, means of grace, here before. Have you heard that before? What is a means of grace? We know what grace is. What is grace? I mean, grace is God giving you what you need just because he loves you and wants to give it to you. It doesn't depend on you. You don't deserve it. But he just gives good gifts to his children. It's, it's the divine spiritual strength and courage and everything you need to live in this world. That's his grace. Means of grace are those avenues, those works that God has given us to, that he gives us his grace through. They're the conduits of his grace, if you would. Like, how does water get into your house? Through a pipe. And you turn on a faucet. and So the water's, in this analogy, like God's grace. The conduits are the things that God has given to give you grace. Do you know what the first great means of grace God has given us is? Christians in all time have talked about this. They, they talk about the means of grace, and they always talk about the first one. Do you know what the first one is? prayer. It is the first thing we ever do with God. Isn't that true for you as a Christian? As soon as you have something that you need done, what do you do first? Hopefully you pray. And what this parable is doing is saying, yes, do it first, but keep doing it. Always. Don't stop. It's the way that God has ordained in this world to give you the grace, the strength, the nourishment, the, the courage, the, the way to do it well to his glory, the character, everything. It's the main way. Now, he doesn't mean that mainly individually, privately. The main help you'll have in prayer is prayer with each other and for each other. Always. A number of years ago, I was going through a really difficult time at my church, and a group of us pastors went to a pastor's conference. And, you know, there's several hundred pastors there, you know, I think around 2,000, and I felt utterly alone there. I was so discouraged. My soul was, like, on fire. And if you know me or you know pastors, there's one place we would go to try to, like, um, medicate our pain. Do you know where that would be? Come on. Nobody? Mark, where would you go? Bookstore. I'm going to buy some books. So I was in the bookstore wandering around just feeling devastated. I went up to a book table, and they have vendors behind there that try to sell you books. And this vendor noticed the pain I was in. He could see it. And he started to talk to me and ask questions, and I just let him know the pain I was in. And he started to pray for me. Uh, And he just prayed for me. And it was so helpful to my soul. The relief I got, the encouragement, the, yes, God is good. It's going to be okay. It's that kind of care that we should have for each other that is what Christ is talking about here. He didn't mean that when Peter was being tortured for his faith that he should just go alone and pray. They'd pray for each other. So this is the charge to us, isn't it? 
We must develop relationships, particularly as our world gets worse and worse and darker and darker. There's one thing that we'll need more than anything else. It's praying for each other. But you have to be honest with each other to do that. So let me just give you two ways to think about prayer, uh, two applications. First, well, I'm going to give you two main ones, but let me define a few things. Some of you are like, what's prayer? (laughs) What is prayer, actually? You have a good definition of prayer? Kids, what's prayer? How would you define prayer? Yeah, talking to God. Very simple, isn't it? Some might say expressing your desires to God. That's it. I mean, the best picture you have of this on earth is children with their parents. What, I mean, what's the thing you get? Moms, what do you get mostly from your kids? Requests. All day long. Mom, 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 right? All day. Isn't that a gift? So kids ask their parents, why? Because their parents can give it. Their parents are the source. So prayer is simply coming to God, humbly making your request known to Him. In Christ's name, can only come because of Jesus. Trusting that He's a good Father and will give you what we ask. Why doesn't God give you what you ask sometimes? Well, one is because you don't ask. You have not because you ask not. Another is because you ask for kind of wicked reasons. (laughs) Now be careful there. Because some of you think that it's selfish to ask for like, I mentioned allergies. You feel like, I can't ask for that. It's just selfish. It's just for me. Oh, jeepers. Of course ask for your allergies. Kids, if you want a new bike, ask God for it. Yeah, you could be selfish. Confess that and then keep asking. I mean, God is a good father. So that's prayer. All right, if you were to search the Bible and read all of the verses on prayer, what's the main quality of prayer that the Bible most emphasizes? Like if you read all of the verses in the Bible that talked about us singing together, do you know what the main thing mentioned that is like the, the, the highest mark of good congregational singing? I said this before, so maybe some of you know it. So, huh? Volume. Who said that? Yeah, volume. Over and over again in the Bible. It's really something when you discover that. Just sing loud. What, what, what about for prayer? What's the highest biblical ethic of prayer? Frequency. Consistency. Constancy. These verses, I'll, I'll read a few. They'll come right to mind. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, praying... At all times. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Colossians 4.2 Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Romans 12.12 Here's one to memorize. Be constant in prayer. I, I wanted to point that out as I hope to an encouragement to you. It's not like you have to pray these rhetorically beautiful, poetical high prayers. There's not a specific form. And the Lord's Prayer is something of that, but it's more just showing you the heart, what you can pray for. It's really just, are you sticking to it? Are you 
praying, feeling like it's not working, praying, feeling like it's not working, praying, and you just keep going. And this is such a, a high value in the Bible that we just have the faith to keep trusting and keep praying and keep going. Simple prayers. It doesn't have to be anything eloquent. And so, the way that Christ says it here is not only that you ought always to pray, but at the end of the prayer that we cry to Him day and night. Cry to Him. Again, the context here is pain. So where do you have pain in your life? Do you know that Christ cares for that? Do you know that He cares for it so much that He wants you to tell Him about it day and night? You know that? Do you ever see that about Him? What kind of a loving Heavenly Father you have? I am not like that as a parent. I wish I was, right? You get tired of hearing those things from your kids. Your Heavenly Father doesn't. Where you're in pain, cry to Him day and night. He will never tire of it. Ever. Bring it to Him constantly. For what? Well, husbands, what? where are you in pain regarding your wife? What do you wish she would give you more consistently that she's not? Now, don't lie to her and say, Honey, there's no place like that. Are you praying day and night there? Wives, same thing. What do you wish you got from your husband that he isn't consistently giving you? How about parents for your kids? Are you crying out to God day and night? Or are you just nagging him to death? I can tell you, that won't work. How about friends for each other? Those in your lives that you love that are in some difficulty, pain, sorrow. I mean, how often does God meet us in prayer? Second, I want to point out this word elect here. Did you notice it? Verse 7, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? What is that word there for in this parable? What purpose does it serve Jesus, our heavenly Lord and Savior, bringing up this controversial doctrine when he's trying to encourage you to always pray and not lose heart. What's the purpose of it? It's supposed to be that nourishment for your soul that keeps you from losing heart. The doctrine that he inserts here that you ought always to pray and not lose heart is the electing love of the Father. Well, what's election? Again, kids, if I bring up the word election, we see it here, will not God give justice to his elect? How would you describe that? How would you describe that, kids? What does it mean that God elects? What's another word that you would use instead of elects? Choose. Perfect. Typically in our world, let's say marriage. We've had a few of those and we've got a few more coming up. A guy chooses a wife, right? That happened in your life? Now she has a choice too. You pick, right? Is that true? Ian, is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So can God pick? Can he choose? Or can, or can only you? Right? So God chooses to set his eternal covenant blessings out. What do we deserve? 
nothing, death, wrath for our sin. And God sets His eternal, saving, forgiving, accepting, fatherly love, and that is supposed to be your greatest comfort that causes you to pray and not lose heart. That you would turn back to the eternal love of God and say, yeah, I can keep praying. And so what do you do with that? Because I know that this doctrine is hard. Some of you maybe not been taught well or maybe not been taught much at all. You've been taught maybe even to despise it. So it doesn't provide you the comfort that Jesus is here providing. What should you do with that? Well, you could pray about it. You could ask God's help. You could search it out in Scripture and see what the Scriptures actually say and not what you say about it. You could come and ask me. I'd love to help you. Or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Mark or elders or another godly man or in the church. I'd love to help you on it. But there will come a point where you and I and every Christian has to simply believe what God says in his word because he said it. And it's, it's, it's delightful that in one of the main areas that we feel like God's sovereignty, his control over everything, and our responsibility meet prayer. What's the conflict in prayer? Why do I have to pray when God already knows it's all going to happen? And here you have in this parable the sovereignty of God in salvation, the choosing to save, and we need to pray always and not lose heart. <laughs> you know what the problem is? You think, we think we're smarter than God. We, we think that these things in the Bible can't be compatible when they are very compatible. And so you feel like you've got to pick one or the other. I need to pick either God being completely sovereign and so we're kind of robots and it doesn't matter what we do, or we're completely free and we have free will and that means somehow God is not as sovereign as it looks like he is in the Bible. Like you've got to pick one. What? They're both right there. Pray always and don't lose heart. And the reason is because God has set his electing love on you from forever. These things are not at odds. Be patient. Search it out. But enjoy it. All right, let me close with this. Again, I want you to know the love of God in this passage. Look again at verse 7. Will not give justice to his elect who cry to him day at night. When Jesus was on earth, and you, let's say you read the Gospels, would you get a feeling that Jesus would be available to listen to you if you read the Gospels? Was Jesus that kind of person? All right, always. He was constantly available to, the, to anybody, even to some of the most disreputable people. He took time with them. I mean, more time than any of us would probably do it. If he would send you an email, it would be very thoughtful. It wouldn't be terse. You wouldn't guess if he's mad at you or not because he would make sure that you would know. He just had a lot of time and attention and care for people. But do you know the two reasons in the Bible where Jesus made himself unavailable to people? When he would get away from people and go and be alone. There's two reasons in the Bible. Do you know what those were? Prayer is one. The first one, though, is when people are going to try to make him king. (laughs) The second is for prayer. 
Mark 135, early in the morning while it was still dark, he rose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was there praying. Luke notes, he himself, Jesus himself, would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Do you think that Jesus questioned the Father's choosing of him to be our Savior? And that that somehow made it incompatible that he should pray? Rather, it was just the opposite. Because Jesus had full assurance of faith in himself that the Father would hear and answer him, that he consistently got away from the people to pray. And we're in Christ, aren't we? Don't we have everything that he has? Don't you have access to the Father day and night just as he did? Can't you trust in the Father's care and love for you? As he did. Don't you have what he has? You do. And so you can always pray and not lose heart. You can always come to each other and ask for prayer and hopefully you'll receive consistent prayer without losing heart. So, how might you apply this? Well, rather than looking at your phone first thing in the morning, how about you begin it with a little prayer? But at the close of your day, instead of watching a Netflix show or an Apple something show, that you just review your day and thank God for it and tell Him the things that you think you did wrong. How about throughout the day, you pray a hundred little prayers all day long? And then how about, this is going to be my charge at the end, you find one person in the next week to just pray with. Maybe it's over the phone or something, but you just give yourself to praying with and for each other. Let's ask God's help in prayer. Father, give us grace that we might receive your word gladly, that you might work within us uh, a reassurance of your fatherly, electing, eternal covenant love in Christ that we might always pray and not lose heart. God, help those who have losing heart, who are sick of what's been going on and tired of it and don't want to deal with it anymore and just are done. God, give them grace to endure, to turn again to see that you are a God who is there, a God who is near, a God whose power is ours in Christ, and a God who will answer. Move them again to prayer. God, for those who are just learning how to pray, please teach them further and help them to be very dependent on you. And so, God, please apply this to a good end, especially that we might pray for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.